0: PART ONE CHAPTER FOUR OF AN OUTCAST OF THE ISLANDS BY JOSEPH CONRAD THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY TOM WEISS His meditation, which resembled slow drifting into suicide, was interrupted by Lingard, who, with a loud, I've got you at last, dropped his hand heavily on Willem's shoulder. This time it was the old seaman himself going out of his way to pick up the uninteresting wave all that there was left of that sudden and sordid shipwreck. To Willems the rough, friendly voice was a quick and fleeting relief, followed by a sharper pang of anger and unavailing regret. That voice carried him back to the beginning of his promising career, the end of which was very visible now from the jetty where they both stood. He shook himself free from the friendly grasp, saying with ready bitterness, "'It's all your fault give me a push now do and send me over i have been standing here waiting for help you are the man of all men you helped at the beginning you ought to have a hand in the end i have better use for you than to throw you to the fishes said lingard seriously taking willems by the arm and forcing him gently to walk up the jetty i have been buzzing over this town like a bluebottle fly looking for you high and low i heard a lot i will tell you what willems "'You are no saint, that's a fact, and you have not been overwise either. I am not throwing stones,' he added hastily, as Willems made an effort to get away. But I am not going to mince matters, never could. You keep quiet while I talk, can't you?' With a gesture of resignation and a half-stifled groan, Willems submitted to the stronger will, and the two men paced slowly up and down the resounding planks while lingard disclosed to willems the exact manner of his undoing after the first shock willems lost the faculty of surprise in the overpowering feeling of indignation so it was Vink and leonard who had served him so they had watched him tracked his misdeeds reported them to Hudik. they had bribed obscure chinamen wormed out confidences from tipsy skippers got at various boatmen and had pieced out in that way the story of his irregularities. The blackness of this dark intrigue filled him with horror. He could understand, think. There was no love lost between them. But Leonard, Leonard! Why, Captain Lingard, he burst out, the fellow licked my boots. Yes, 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 said Lingard testily. We know that, and you did your best to cram your boot down his throat. No man likes that, my boy. I was always giving money to all that hungry lot, went on Willems passionately. Always my hand in my pocket. They never had to ask twice. Just so, your generosity frightened them. They asked themselves where all that came from, and concluded that it was safer to throw you overboard. After all, Houdig is a much greater man than you, my friend, and they have a claim on him also. What do you mean, Captain Lingard? What do I mean? repeated Lingard slowly. Why, you are not going to make me believe you did not know your wife was hudik's daughter come now willems stopped suddenly and swayed about ah i understand he gasped i never heard lately i thought there was but no i never guessed oh you simpleton said lingard pityingly Pon my word he muttered to himself i don't believe the fellow knew well well steady now pull yourself together what's wrong there she is a good wife to you, excellent wife said Willems, in a dreary voice, looking far over the black and scintillating water. Very well, then went on Lingard with increasing friendliness. Nothing wrong there, but did you really think that Hoodig was marrying you off and giving you a house, and I don't know what out of love for you, I had served him well, answered Willems. How well you know yourself, through thick and thin, no matter what work and what risk, I was always there, always ready how well he saw the greatness of his work and the immensity of that injustice which was his reward she was that man's daughter in the light of this disclosure the facts of the last five years of his life stood clearly revealed in their full meaning he had spoken first to joanna at the gate of their dwelling as he went to his work in the brilliant flush of the early morning when women and flowers are charming even to the dullest eyes A most respectable family, two women and a young man, were his next-door neighbors. Nobody ever came to their little house but the priest, a native from the Spanish Islands, now and then. The young man, Leonard he had met in town, and was flattered by the little fellow's immense respect for the great Willems. He let him bring chairs, call the waiters, chalk his cues when playing billiards, express his admiration in choice words he even condescended to listen patiently to leonard's allusions to our beloved father a man of official position a government agent in cody where he died of cholera alas a victim to duty like a good catholic and a good man it sounded very respectable and willems approved of those feeling references moreover he prided himself upon having no color prejudices and no racial antipathies he consented to drink Coryaco one afternoon on the veranda of Mrs. de Souza's house. He remembered Joanna that day swinging in a hammock. She was untidy even then he remembered, and that was the only impression he carried away from that visit. He had no time for love in those glorious days, no time even for a passing fancy, but gradually he fell into the habit of calling almost every day at that little house where he was greeted by mrs de souza's shrill voice screaming for joanna to come and entertain the gentlemen from hudick and company and then the sudden and unexpected visit of the priest he remembered the man's flat yellow face his thin legs his propitiatory smile his beaming black eyes his conciliating manner his veiled hints which he did not understand at the time how he wondered what the man wanted and how unceremoniously he got rid of him, and then came vividly into his recollection the morning when he met again the fellow coming out of Hudik's office, and how he was amused at the incongruous visit. And that morning with Hudik, would he ever forget it? Would he ever forget his surprise as the master, instead of plunging at once into business, looked at him thoughtfully before turning, with a furtive smile, to the papers on the desk? He could hear him now, his nose in the paper before him, dropping astonishing words in the intervals of wheezy breathing. Heard said, called there often, most respectable ladies, knew the father very well, esteemable, best thing for a young man, settled down, personally very glad to hear, thing arranged, suitable recognition of valuable service, best thing, best thing to do. And he believed. What credulity! What an ass! hudick knew the father rather and so did everybody else probably all except himself how proud he had been of Hudig's benevolent interest in his fate! how proud he was when invited by Hudig to stay with him at his little house in the country where he could meet men men of official position as a friend vink had been green with envy oh yes he had believed in the best thing and took the girl like a gift of fortune how he boasted to Hudik of being free from prejudices! The old scoundrel must have been laughing in his sleeve at his fool of a confidential clerk. He took the girl, guessing nothing. How could he? There had been a father of some kind to the common knowledge. Men knew him, spoke about him. A lank man of hopelessly mixed descent, but otherwise apparently unobjectionable. The shady relations came out afterward, but, with his freedom for prejudices, he did not mind them because, with their humble dependence, they completed his triumphant life. Taken in, taken in, Hudek had found an easy way to provide for the begging crowd. He had shifted the burden of his youthful vagaries onto the shoulders of his confidential clerk, and while he worked for the master, the master had cheated him, had stolen his very self from him. He was married; he belonged to that woman no matter what she might do, had sworn for all life, thrown himself away, and that man dared this very morning call him a thief. Damnation! "'Let go, Lingard!' he shouted, trying to get away by a sudden jerk from the watchful old seaman. "'Let me go and kill that—' "'No, you don't,' panted Lingard, hanging on manfully. "'You want to kill, don't you? You lunatic! Ah, I've got you now. Be quiet, I say.' They struggled violently, Lingard facing Willems slowly towards the guardrail. Under their feet the jetty sounded like a drum in the quiet night. On the shore end the native caretaker of the wharf watched the combat, squatting behind the safe shelter of some big cases. The next day he informed his friends with calm satisfaction that two drunken white men had fought on the jetty. It had been a great fight they fought without arms like wild beasts after the manner of white men no nobody was killed or there would have been trouble and a report to make how could he know why they fought white men have no reason when they are like that just as lingard was beginning to fear that he would be unable to restrain much longer the violence of the younger man he felt willem's muscles relaxing and took advantage of this opportunity to pin him by a last effort to the rail They both panted heavily, speechless, their faces very close. "'All right,' muttered Willems at last. "'Don't break my back over this infernal rail. I will be quiet.' "'Now you are reasonable,' said Lingard, much relieved. "'What made you fly into that passion?' he asked, leading him back to the end of the jetty, and still holding him prudently with one hand. He fumbled with the other for his whistle, and blew a shrill and prolonged blast. Over the smooth water of the roadstead came an answer a faint cry from one of the ships at anchor. "'My boat will be here directly,' said Lingard. "'Think of what you are going to do. I sail to-night.' "'What is there for me to do except one thing?' said Willems gloomily. "'Look here,' said Lingard. "'I picked you up as a boy, and consider myself responsible for you in a way. You took your life into your own hands many years ago, but still—' he paused listening till he heard the regular grind of the oars in the rowlocks of the approaching boat then went on again i have made it all right with hudig you owe him nothing now go back to your wife she is a good woman go back to her why captain lingard exclaimed willems she-it was most affecting went on lingard without heeding him i went to your house to look for you and there i saw her despair it was heartbreaking she called for you she entreated me to find you she spoke wildly poor woman as if all this was her fault willems listened amazed the blind old idiot how queerly he misunderstood but if it was true if it was even true the very idea of seeing her filled his soul with intense loathing he did not break his oath but he would not go back to her let hers be the sin of that separation of the sacred bond broken he reveled in the extreme purity of his heart and he would not go back to her let her come back to him he had the comfortable conviction that he would never see her again and that through her own fault only in this conviction he told himself solemnly that if she would come to him he would receive her with generous forgiveness because such was the praiseworthy solidity of his principles but he hesitated whether he would or would not disclose to Lingard the revolting completeness of his humiliation. Turned out of his house, and by his wife, that woman who hardly dared to breathe in his presence yesterday, he remained perplexed in silence. No, he lacked the courage to tell the ignoble story. As the boat of the brig appeared suddenly on the black water close to the jetty, Lingard broke the painful silence i always thought he said sadly i always thought you were somewhat heartless willems and apt to cast adrift those that thought most of you i appeal to what is best in you do not abandon that woman i have not abandoned her answered willems quickly with conscious truthfulness why should i as you so justly observed she has been a good wife to me a very good quiet obedient loving wife and i love her as much as she loves me every bit But as to going back now, to that place where I, to walk again amongst those men who yesterday were ready to crawl before me, and then feel on my back the sting of their pitying or satisfied smiles, no, I can't. I would rather hide from them at the bottom of the sea, he went on with resolute energy. I don't think, Captain Lingard, he added more quietly, I don't think that you realize what my position was there. In a wide sweep of his hand he took in the sleeping shore from north to south, as if wishing it a proud and threatening good-bye. For a short moment he forgot his downfall in the recollection of his brilliant triumphs. Amongst the men of his class and occupation who slept in those dark houses, he had been indeed the first. "'It is hard,' muttered Lingard pensively. "'But who's the fault? Who's the fault?' "'Captain Lingard!' cried Willems, under the sudden impulse of a felicitous inspiration. "'If you leave me here on this jetty, it's murder. I shall never return to that place alive, wife or no wife. You may just as well cut my throat at once.' The old seaman started. "'Don't try to frighten me, Willems,' he said with great severity, and paused. Above the accents of Willems' brazen despair he heard, with considerable uneasiness, the whisper of his own absurd conscience. He meditated for a while with an irresolute air. "'I could tell you to go and drown yourself and be damned to you,' he said, with an unsuccessful assumption of brutality in his manner. "'But I won't. We are responsible for one another. Worse luck. I am almost ashamed of myself. But I can understand your dirty pride. I can. Bye!' He broke off with a loud sigh and walked briskly to the steps, at the bottom of which lay his boat rising and falling gently on the slight and invisible swell. "'Below there. Got a lamp on the boat? We'll light it and bring it up, one of you. Hurry now.' He tore out a page of his pocket-book, moistened his pencil with great energy, and waited, stamping his feet impatiently. "'I will see this through,' he muttered to himself. "'And I will have it all square and ship-shape. See if I don't.' "'Are you going to bring that lamp, you son of a crippled mud-turtle? I am waiting.' the gleam of the light on the paper placated his professional anger and he wrote rapidly the final dash of his signature curling the paper up in a triangular tear take that to this white Tuan's house i will send the boat back for you in half an hour the coxswain raised his lamp deliberately to willem's face this Tuan tow i know quick then said lingard taking the lamp from him and the man went off at a run Cassimem to the lady herself called lingard after him then, when the man disappeared, he turned to Willems. "'I have written to your wife,' he said. "'If you do not return for good, you do not go back to that house only for another parting. You must come as you stand. I won't have that poor woman tormented. I will see to it that you are not separated for long. Trust me.' Willems shivered, then smiled in the darkness. "'No fear of that,' he muttered enigmatically. "'I trust you implicitly, Captain Lingard,' he added in a louder tone. Lingard led the way down the steps, swinging the lamp and speaking over his shoulder. "'It is the second time, Willems, I take you in hand. Mind, it is the last. The second time, and the only difference between then and now, is that you were barefooted then and have boots now. In fourteen years, with all your smartness. A poor result, that. A very poor result. He stood for a while on the lowest platform of the steps, the light of the lamp falling on the upturned face of the stroke oar who held the gunwale of the boat close alongside, ready for the captain to step in. "'You see,' he went on, argumentatively, fumbling about the top of the lamp, "'you got yourself so crooked amongst those longshore quill-drivers that you could not run clear in any way. That's what comes of such talk as yours, and of such a life.' a man sees so much falsehood that he begins to lie to himself pah he said in disgust there's only one place for an honest man the sea my boy the sea but you never would didn't think there was enough money in it and now look he blew the light out and stepping into the boat stretched quickly his hand towards willems with friendly care willems sat by him in silence and the boat shoved off sweeping in a wide circle towards the brig "'Your compassion is all for my wife, Captain Lingard,' said Willems moodily. "'Do you think I am so very happy?' "'No, no,' said Lingard heartily. "'Not a word more shall pass my lips. I had to speak my mind once, seeing that I knew you from a child, so to speak. And now I shall forget. But you are young yet. Life is very long,' he went on with unconscious sadness. "'Let this be a lesson to you.' He laid his hand affectionately on Willems' shoulder and they both sat silent till the boat came alongside the ship's ladder. When on board, Lingard gave orders to his mate, and leading Willems on the poop sat on the breach of one of the brass six-pounders with which his vessel was armed. The boat went off again to bring back the messenger. As soon as it was seen returning, dark forms appeared on the brig's spars. Then the sails fell in festoons with a swish of their heavy folds, and hung motionless under the yards in the dead calm of the clear and dewy night. From the forward end came the clink of the windlass, and soon afterwards the hail of the chief mate, informing Lingard that the cable was hoed short. "'Hold on everything,' hailed back Lingard. "'We must wait for the land-breeze before we let go our hold of the ground.' He approached Willems, who sat on the skylight, his body bent down, his head low, and his hands hanging listlessly between his knees. "'I am going to take you to Sambir,' he said. "'You've never heard of the place, have you?' "'Well, it's up that river of mine about which people talk so much and know so little. "'I found out the entrance for a ship of flash of size. "'It isn't easy. "'You'll see. "'I will show you. "'You have been at sea long enough to take an interest. "'Pity you didn't stick to it. "'Well, I am going there. "'I have my own trading post in the place. "'Almayer is my partner.' You knew him when he was at Hudig's. Oh, he lives there as happy as a king. Do you see I have them all in my pocket? The Rajah is an old friend of mine. My word is law, and I am the only traitor. No other white man but Almayer had ever been in that settlement. You will live quietly there till I come back from my next cruise to the westward. We shall see then what can be done for you. Never fear. I have no doubt my secret will be safe with you keep mum about my river when you get amongst the traders again. There's many who would give their ears for the knowledge of it. I'll tell you something, that's where I get all my gooda and rattans. Simply inexhaustible, my boy.' While Lingard spoke, Willems looked up quickly, but soon his head fell on his breast in the discouraging certitude that the knowledge he and Hoodie had wished for so much had come to him too late. He sat in a listless attitude, "'You will help Almayer in his trading if you have a heart for it,' continued Lingard. "'Just to kill time till I come back for you. Only six weeks or so.' Over their heads the damp sails fluttered noisily in the first faint puff of the breeze. Then, as the airs freshened, the brig tended to the wind, and the silenced canvas lay quietly aback. The mate spoke with low distinctness from the shadows of the quarter-deck there's the breeze which way do you want to cast her captain lingard lingard's eyes that had been fixed aloft glanced down at the dejected figure of the man sitting on the skylight he seemed to hesitate for a minute to the northward to the northward he answered testily as if annoyed at his own fleeting thought and bear a hand there every puff of wind is worth money in these seas he remained motionless listening to the rattle of blocks and the creaking of trusses as the head yards were hauled round sail was made on the ship and the windlass manned again while he stood still lost in thought he only roused himself when a barefooted sea canny glided past him silently on his way to the wheel put the helm port, hard over he said in his harsh sea voice to the man whose face appeared suddenly out of the darkness in the circle of light thrown upwards from the binnacle lamps the anchor was secured the yards trimmed and the brig began to move out of the roadstead the sea woke up under the push of the sharp cutwater and whispered softly to the gliding craft in that tender and rippling murmur in which it speaks sometimes to those it nurses and loves lingard stood by the taffrail listening with a pleased smile till the flash began to draw close to the only other vessel in the anchorage here willems he said calling him to his side do you see that bark there that's an arab vessel white men have mostly given up the game but this fellow drops in my wake often and lives in hopes of cutting me out in that settlement not while i live i trust you see willems i brought prosperity to that place i composed their quarrels and saw them grow under my eyes there's peace and happiness there i am more master there than his dutch excellency down in batavia ever will be when some day a lazy man-of-war blunders at last against the river I mean to keep the Arabs out of it with their lies and their intrigues. I shall keep the venomous breed out if it costs me my fortune. The flash drew quietly abreast of the bark and was beginning to drop it astern when a white figure started up on the poop of the Arab vessel, and a voice called out, "Greeting to the Rajah laut!' "To you, greeting," answered Lingard after a moment of hesitating surprise. Then he turned to Willems with a grim smile that's abdullah's voice he said mighty civil all of a sudden isn't he i wonder what it means just like his impotence no matter his civility or his impotence are all one to me i know that this fellow will be under way and after me like a shot i don't care i have the heels of anything that floats in these seas he added while his proud and loving glance ran over and rested fondly amongst the brig's lofty and graceful spars End of chapter four. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's audiobooks.com.